Good morning, everyone. As you've heard, I'm Lizzie, and it's a joy to be able to share with you what God's put on my heart for today. It's also exciting for me, as it's my first time sharing here in the URC building since we moved in. So, a little something else about me. Now that we're into December, I am officially allowing myself to get excited and geared up for, yep, I'm going to say it, Christmas. I'm sure there are some of you sitting here who've almost finished your present shopping. You've probably pre-ordered the food, decorated the tree and written your cards. Well, I can tell you that's definitely not me. But now that we're into December, I am getting myself organised and sorted with all the usual preparations that we like to do at this time of year. And many of you will have plenty to do as well. I'm sure you'll be getting ready for guests, you'll be making travel plans, buying gifts, and then some of them you'll probably have to wrap and post. You'll be arranging when you see people. Because you see, that's the thing, isn't it? When we know that something's coming up, we do our best to plan. And we do our best to get ready for it, don't we? The run-up might not always go smoothly and there might be a bit of rushing about for some of the less organised among us. Yep, that would be me. But when we're mindful of what's around the corner, usually we do do our best to be as ready as we can be, don't we? And at this time of year, there's almost a tangible excitement and joy in celebrating our precious Lord Jesus coming to earth. There's this sense of anticipation as we look forward to the 25th of December. Yet, we know that the story doesn't end there. We know that the same Lord Jesus who came in human form to live a perfect life and then laid it down so that we might be made right before God. He rose again and ascended into heaven. He's coming back in a most glorious way. He's the one who was and is and is to come. The one who was and is and is to come. So in all the excitement and getting ready to celebrate his first coming, I found myself wondering, how am I preparing for his return? How am I getting ready for his second coming? Am I excited about it? Do I live with the awareness and expectation that one day Jesus is coming back? We've just finished a series on discipleship, haven't we, where we looked at what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And we explored how that impacts our daily lives as individuals and as a church family. But why? Why did we do that? Why are we so invested in cultivating our relationship with Jesus, in going deeper in our walk with him and in sharing his love with others? Because we know he's coming back. We're going to spend eternity with the Lord. 
And what we do for our relationship with him now has an eternal impact on our relationship with him. There are many passages that speak of Jesus' return, about how it will be and how we're to prepare for it. And just after Jesus ascended into heaven, the disciples were awestruck at seeing him go up before them. They were almost frozen to the spot as he ascended into heaven. And Acts 1.11 tells us that just as miraculously as he went, that is how he'll return. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So another passage that we'll look at in more detail is Matthew 25, 31 to 40. And it reads like this. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So the first thing that stands out in this passage is that when Jesus returns, it will be a truly awesome sight. We see a foretaste in creation of God's glory now, don't we? The beauty of a sunset, the breathtaking vastness of a mountain range. If our souls leap And if our hearts are quickened at these created sights, then how much more when we see the creator himself? These verses also tell us that 
all the angels will be with him. A mighty heavenly army to honour the Lord. Just imagine the sight. The angels who announced his birth caused quite a stir, didn't they? And when he returns, it says here that it will be with all of them. Not only will the Lord be accompanied by the heavenly hosts, but he'll also sit on his throne in glory. We'll actually see the king in his rightful place, enthroned over all things and then all people. Every one of us will be gathered before him. Presidents, prime ministers, kings and queens, sports people, actors, teachers, everyone without any exception. And this leads me to my first thought on how we can get ready for this day. All the nations will be brought before the Lord and as well as coming before him as individuals, we'll come before him as nations too. As believers, those who represent the Lord here on earth, we have a responsibility to pray and be a light for our nation. We're called to pray for our leaders locally and nationally because one day they too will have to give an account before God. They hold these weighty positions of great authority and we can uphold them and pray for them to make good decisions that are in alignment with God's will. We're really blessed to be living in a nation that's built upon Christian foundations. But at the same time, I think it is important to acknowledge that those values and morals are being challenged. And it's happening on a number of levels, but it feels especially apparent in education and in schools, for example. There's a lot of opposition to speaking out for God's truth and to standing on biblical foundations. But Matthew 25 tells us that Jesus is coming back. And when he does, he'll look for those who followed him and chose him his ways. In light of that, as led by the Lord, there are practical things we can do today to make his truth known. And we can be proactive in praying for our nation so that when we're before him, we can truly say that we did all we could to play our part in helping keep our nation right before God. Going against the grain can be really hard. It can be difficult to speak up, especially when today we might risk being considered intolerant or even unloving. But actually, surely the loving thing is to be a light for Jesus. Surely it's loving to be an example and a bearer of his truths. Perhaps sometimes loving our neighbour and loving God's creation takes the form of not sacrificing his truth, but sharing it in love when he leads us to, in the knowledge that the potential long-term impact could be so much more valuable. 
Changing our mindset and our focus to an eternal one changes us. And I believe it changes us in a good way. Living today and every day in the knowledge that Jesus is coming back helps us in our choices. It helps us in how we choose to invest our time, in how we decide to use the finances that God may have blessed us with, the career decisions we might take, and even the relationships that we invest ourselves into. Living as those who are hopeful and expectant for a future with Jesus shapes how we deal with situations and it determines how we pray. It can give us the strength to have those conversations that we fear might be a little difficult because we see the long-term fruit that could come. It can give us a fresh passion And a greater depth to our prayers too. For example, there can be a quite subtle but important difference between this kind of general prayer for immediate church growth. Or a heartfelt plea for God to draw in those who don't yet know his love so that they might spend eternity enjoying it. You see, they're both good, aren't they? And they're both really important. But actually, if we look a little more closely, we'll see that one is based in the here and the now, but the other has a more long-term focus. So cultivating this mindset that Jesus is coming back, I think it also helps us to view trials differently. Over the last few years, particularly, there's been this string of unsettling and difficult things happening in the world. And some of those things, they're still ongoing right now. But when we view them through the lens of what we've just read in Matthew 25, that the Lord is coming back in glory and he will be surrounded by all the angels, the whole company of heaven. It really helps to remind us and embed in us that these things, they're just temporary. They will pass. So the suffering and the troubles that we see now, they were never God's plan or his design. He is at work to restore all things. And one day, He has promised that he will wipe away every tear and there won't be any more sorrow. There'll be no more pain and there will be an end to suffering. So even when the darkness seems like it's getting darker and it feels more and more intense, well, Jesus promised Actually, this is a sign of hope. He promised that this means that the day of his return is actually getting closer. The light of the world who first brought that light shining in the darkness and it couldn't be put out. That light of the world is coming back to permanently 
extinguish the darkness once and for all. Keeping the awareness that Jesus is coming back in the forefront of our thinking not only gives us strength to face trials because we know that they will pass, but it also reminds us that God can use them to form our character, all in preparation for when we meet him face to face. Now, this is certainly not in any way to make light of struggles or the pain that we might experience when we go through them, which, as we've said, was never God's heart for us. Yet, at the same time, he can use them to make us more like Jesus. There are instances when perhaps our short-term discomfort or hardship might in fact be of more value than our immediate comfort or happiness, because through it, we're learning to be more Christ-like. When Jesus comes, the Bible tells us we'll be like him. So being ready and getting prepared for that day, it means wanting to be like Jesus now. With the Holy Spirit's help, we can make choices and we can develop attitudes that transform us more and more into the people we want to be when we meet with Jesus. The life that we lead, that God's given us, is such a precious gift. And through it, we are daily becoming more and more like Jesus through all our choices and our experiences, ready for that day when we will finally be like him. Each day, we are investing in the world and people around us. And what we're actually doing is we're preparing future generations and preparing ourselves to be with him. So we can see how we need this good balance of deeply appreciating and making the most of each and every day, but of also remembering of what it's all leading up to. This brings us this brings us on to another important point that we can draw on from this passage and it's that our decisions and our actions they have an eternal impact the choices that you and I make today they are shaping and they're molding us not just for tomorrow but for eternity and that's quite a serious but it's also an exciting and joyful thought. Right now, we can be sowing into the kingdom of God and planting seeds that will have a precious, lasting fruit. Jesus details several ways in which the righteous stood before him have been a blessing and invested into the kingdom. And he then says in Matthew 25, 40, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So here we see that how we respond to Jesus and to those around us now matters. 
There's a bit of debate out there as to who precisely the brothers and sisters are that Jesus is talking about. But the key thing to focus on here is the heart attitude of those who were serving. And it's how they treated the people, the brothers and sisters, that's important. Jesus' words are so powerful here. He states that when we do good for those in need, and when we're serving, it is actually if we're serving Jesus himself. Let's really let that sink in for a minute. What we choose to do each and every day, and actually what we choose not to do in each moment, is all for the Lord. And not only that, but one day the Lord will look back on it all with us and he'll show us how by loving and serving others, we were in fact serving him. So that's quite a challenging thought, isn't it? And when we see others, when we look at each other, do we see Jesus? Do we make the connection that what we're doing for each other, what we're doing for our community, for the suffering, for those in need, do we appreciate that we're actually doing it for Jesus? When we show hospitality or when we give to those in need, what a precious thought to realise that the Lord sees this as directly serving him. We've got some fantastic initiatives happening across our church family. And as we serve through things like Little Birds and Younger for Longer and all the other amazing ways in which we're involved in the community, let's pray that this principle of directly serving Jesus remains right at the heart of what we're doing. And let's pray that that mindset shapes all of our activities. Christmas and New Year are a time for reflection, aren't they? As one calendar year draws to a close and another starts, we like to look back on what's happened and we also look forward and we make new plans. We think of new things, New Year's resolutions. It's a great time for that, isn't it? So perhaps this, this season, in all of our prayers and reflections, perhaps the Lord might be bringing to mind other practical ways in which we can show Jesus's love by serving each other and our community. Now, please, please don't think that I'm promoting this kind of soulish busyness or in any way suggesting that we fill our time to the max with doing. Definitely not. I am a firm believer that Sabbath is a commandment from God. And I believe that rest actually helps us to do the things that he has called us to do well. But maybe we should just wonder and pray and think about whether there are other opportunities the Lord might be inviting us to take up to show his love. So with that thought in mind of not pursuing busyness or doing for the sake of doing, something quite special and important to note from the verses that we've read is that those who are standing before Jesus, 
they don't even seem to realize that they've done anything commendable or good. They actually seem quite confused. And in Matthew 25, 38, they ask, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? For these righteous ones, it's natural to have lived this life of service, showing compassion and kindness. It was like an overflow of what was already in their hearts. And I think it's important to point this out because this confirms that it's not their good deeds that have caused them to be blessed by the Father and that have led him to invite them to take up their inheritance. But the good deeds reveal what's in their hearts. So maybe just to say it another way, that good works are absolutely not the cause of salvation, but they are the result of salvation. We are not saved or justified by what we do. But more often than not, what we do reveals what's in our hearts and it reveals what we love, what we value and cherish because all our actions come from a thought that has preceded it. So like these welcomed by Jesus in this passage, We serve and we love one another because of our love for him. So our good works and our deeds, they flow out of love for him because we have been redeemed and saved. And in the same way, we look forward and we prepare for his return because it shows just how much we love him. When Jesus came to the earth, so many were just longing and crying out for a saviour to come, to bring healing, to bring freedom and salvation. They longed to see the one who was going to fulfil long-awaited prophecy. And those that did see him, and those that received him, were just overjoyed to be in his presence. And why should we be those who look forward to his return? Because it shows just how much we love him. Scripture gives the example of the wedding feast to help us grasp what it will be like. A bride and groom long for their wedding day so they can be united and begin married life together. There is so much joy and excitement as the day approaches. The couple are full of expectation because two people who are so in love get to enter into a different season of their relationship. So similarly, we are of course enjoying every moment of our relationship with Jesus right now, but we also look forward to a new season where we as the church, the bride of Christ, can be with the Lord in a new way. 
So much planning usually goes into a wedding and a great deal of preparation to get things just right. The bride spends time choosing her dress and her shoes and she might go for her hair and her makeup trials and she might go and get her nails done, all to be beautiful and ready for her groom. Both of them want to look the best that they can for their special celebration, having prepared and planned everything probably for months and months. And that same preparation and beautifying is exactly what the Lord is doing in a wonderful way with us, his church, to be ready for his return. I want to be honest and share that I've not always had a positive approach to Jesus' return, and I didn't even realise it. And I can actually pinpoint the exact moment that that started to change. And I began to realise there was something else to look forward to, other than just the immediate joys and experiences of today. I can't remember exactly how the conversation started, But I recall talking with a friend and he was sharing that he just couldn't understand how some people could say, only half joking, oh, well, Jesus can't come back until I've done this or that or the other or until such and such has happened. What could be better or more important than being with Jesus, he exclaimed. And as I listened, something just kind of jolted inside me and I realised that was me. I was so consumed with what I wanted to achieve and experience and with what I thought would satisfy now that I actually lost sight of what was really important. Of course, it is right and it is good to have dreams, to have hopes for the future. We are meant to plan. We were made to be creative. And we were called, we are called to live this life to the full. But for me, I was missing the point. I was valuing those things way too much and above the Lord. And I realised that how I felt about Jesus' return was in many ways actually connected to how I felt about him. How I felt about Jesus' return was actually really connected to how I felt about him. I wanted to squeeze in more experiences and visit all those places on my travel list to get that particular job. And the Lord lovingly showed me that I can enjoy all of those wonderful gifts as and when he gives them, but I can also be excited about his return one day. And the last thing that I'd like to draw on from this passage is from verse 34 of this chapter of Matthew 25. And it's the fact that since the foundation of the world, God has prepared a kingdom for those who love him and who want to dwell with him. His heart is to be in communion with us. At the same time that the world we see was formed, God made provision for a place for us where we can be perfectly united with him. He desires fellowship with each one of us and that's something that 
we enjoy now through the Holy Spirit, but we can also prepare for the fullness of everything that that means today, whilst we're watching and praying just as Jesus commanded. We can take pleasure and grow day by day in our relationship with him, carrying out the callings that he's placed on each of our lives, knowing that one day we will see him face to face in all of his glory. So let's just spend some time now in praise and in worship and let's thank the Lord together that he is the one who was, he's the one who is, and he is the one to yet to come. Let's thank him that he came to the earth to save us and to redeem us and that he's also coming back to restore all things. So if anyone wants to pray into anything that's come up, that we've been exploring this passage and maybe praying about seeking God in new ways, that uh, about the, how he might be calling us to serve or about how we can make an impact today to ready to sow into tomorrow, then come and, and get some prayer and grab someone to pray with.